And we are rolling. Dare I say we are even running. My name is Alex Painter. I am your host. This is Onward to Victory, a Notre Dame football podcast. And this is episode two. I want to take a moment to thank everyone who listened to, shared, commented on, whatever have you, for episode one. It was a good bit of fun for me and Hopefully it was for you as well. So just as a reminder, we will be doing the giveaway, uh, the Troy Nicholas autographed football card. We'll be doing that at the end of this episode. So make sure you hang out with us till the very end. So again, thank you so very much. Been an outpouring of support, which I very graciously accept and, and I am very grateful for. Thank you again to Joseph Rakish for the killer theme song. The song is Knut Rockney. You can find it on Apple Music, YouTube, Spotify, SoundCloud, however you digest music. And uh, unlike the last episode, I will be sharing the links for the song, and, and you can find all of his music there. But again, thank you to Joseph in particular because uh, I reached out to him and he gave uh, the show exclusive access for usage of the song, and I think it just fits really well. So thank you. The hope is that the show will continue to grow and hopefully utilize different podcasting host sites. Um, Hopefully it's your favorite one. So right now we're in Podbean and uh, looking to add more here in the future. So stay tuned. As you know, all show updates are kind of funneled through headquarters, which is the Facebook page, which is facebook.com slash onward to victory podcast. You can send the show a message. I'll try my very best to read every one of them, provided they are family-friendly. And you can also email the show at onwardtovictorypodcast at gmail.com. Don't hesitate. I'm trying to pride myself on my accessibility. So if you have something you want to say or something you'd like for everyone to hear, uh, don't hesitate to reach on out. And again, I, I really hope everyone enjoyed episode one. As I mentioned, it was a good bit of fun for me to do, and I've gotten some pretty good feedback thus far. Uh, So just as a quick recap, episode one was about Angelo Bertelli, who was Notre Dame's first Heisman Trophy winner. So we kind of took a little bit of a deeper dive into his athletic exploits, which no doubt people are familiar with. Uh, Of course, being the first Notre Dame fighting Irish football player to win a Heisman will get you that level of notoriety. But it was equally important to kind of talk about the self-sacrifice that Bertelli, you know, went through and... Uh, put his career effectively on hold to go serve his country. And even within the conflict of World War II, you know, when his name was called to, to put himself in peril, he did not hesitate you know, on the uh, Iwo Jima Island, as we kind of talked about in length. So it was a real treat to kind of get to know him a little bit better as a person, not just as uh, the quarterback of the football team. And he has a wonderful story. Very, very, it was very humbling to get to know a little bit more about him because he was truly, in a lot of ways, the full package and a very humble person and a very gracious person and someone who was proud of the fact that you know he had made it in this country he was the son of italian immigrants uh he, so he was a first generation american and you know and he achieved his version of the american dream and you know he was always very cognizant of those trying to do the the very same and then we also talked about Uh, the top three reasons why Notre Dame can return to the college football playoff in 2019. So one of the goals of the podcast is 
not to have each episode be too terribly dated. I'd like for some of the content to be fairly timeless in the sense that you can listen to it now, next week, next month, next year, and five years, and hopefully there are still some relevant bits of information. Um, as I mentioned in the first episode, you know the goal isn't to create a podcast or a Facebook page that churns out the most content, but one that we strive to be as conscientious and as thoughtful as possible uh, while keeping fans in the loop on the current Irish as well as always remembering you know, those awesome people, those players, those stories, those figures, those events uh, throughout the campus, the university, and throughout the program's history. Now, that being said, as the season comes upon us, you know, we'll be doing those traditional game preview, game recaps. In fact, I can't wait to to do those. And they're working on currently a big recruiting episode. But since we're here in the offseason, we can kind of deviate from the norm and do some fun things. So, and the underlying goal is to create positive fandom for Notre Dame and the football team. And so speaking of positive fandom, that brings us to our first bit of programming here for today. Now, what I really enjoy about Onward to Victory's listening audience is that it is, in fact, a nationwide audience. Many of you are based here in Indiana, perhaps neighboring Ohio, but we also have uh, listening members from you know, the Pacific Northwest, the Southwest, New England, the Deep South. So it is my distinct pleasure to maybe introduce this man to a few of you, but also possibly reintroduce him to others. But first, I should probably give a little bit of a backstory. So I work in college admission, and so part of what I do is I travel around uh, mostly Indiana, but I visit high schools, I do college fair programs, you know, all those. So my work takes me to South Bend fairly often, a few times a year. And so in the spring of 2014, I was driving around. I can't remember what I was doing, probably heading to a high school or a college fair, as I mentioned. And I just happened to see uh, a sign that said Augie's Locker Room, and it was branded as Notre Dame Gifts and Memorabilia. So I felt compelled. I had a few extra minutes to pull over, stop, and walk in. And honestly, as I, as I was heading to the door, I think I was probably expecting you know, another gift shop or another bookstore. Racks of Under Armour shirts, sweatshirts, hats, shoes you know, the like. Uh, the, they're kind of strewn across campus, and there's a couple in town, and that's kind of what I was expecting when I walked through the doors of Augie's locker room for the first time. And it sits about, oh, maybe a little less than a mile from, from the stadium, and it really virtually across the street from the campus grounds. So it is fairly close. And when I walked through the doors, I realized that what I was expecting, what it actually was, shared virtually no commonalities. Gone were the racks of, sorry, overpriced, Under Armour, and what actually greeted me was a row of authentic lockers with helmets that date all the way back to the 10s and 20s, authentic Notre Dame helmets, glass cases of programs, old sporting cards, ticket stubs, autographs, pictures adorning the walls of Johnny Lujak, Johnny Latner, uh, Knut Rockney, George Gipp, the Four Horsemen. This was no bookstore. This this was a store. Everything was for sale, but it was a collection that is, regardless of whether or not you are a Notre Dame fan, was just almost unspeakable. And frankly, I can't really do it much justice in talking into this microphone. Perhaps an exercise would be literally to go to Google and put in Augie's Locker Room, and there's some pictures there inside the store. Um, that you can kind of see and will give a much better sense, but it is wall-to-wall Notre Dame stuff and some very, very rare pieces of memorabilia. 
the store itself opened in 2007, but there are parts of the collection, uh, as he would later tell me, that he has had since the 1950s when he first started collecting as a, as a youngster. And so, anyways, back to my story. I walk in, and I'm completely taken aback. Jim Augustine, the owner, he goes by Augie, as in, yes, Augie's locker room. We have a conversation. We're just kind of talking about Notre Dame, and I told him I'm, I told him I am awestruck by what you have here, and he kind of looked at me like uh, as if he hears that quite frequently, which if you were to see this place, you probably assume he would hear that quite frequently, but he asked me why I was in town, and I told him I'm here for a college fair and high school visits, and I'm here recruiting for the college I represent and all of that, and so then I left. Um, but I would return pretty much every time I was in town. So after a few of these meetings and conversations, um, it became clear that he actually kind of remembered me. He, he, I'd walk through the doors um, and he would say, oh, where's the college fair at tonight? Which was really cool for me because visiting his, his store was a, certainly a highlight. If I roll into South Bend, I might plan on getting into town 30 minutes early. That way that could be my very first stop. And honestly, my, my basement is, is full of sports stuff. But one of my favorite things is something that I did buy from Augie's. It's, a, it's an old Ted Drake print of uh, watercolor of uh, George Gipp. Still on my wall. It still remains one of my favorite things. If you were to ask me in a basement full of sports stuff, what's your favorite, among your favorite things? And I would, I would point to that. So when I started this podcast, one of my goals was to eventually have an opportunity to sit down and talk with Augie because... He was always extremely kind to me, very gracious, and always wanted to talk uh, you know, to anyone who walked through the doors, and that's something I certainly admired, and over the years, I'd bring family members or friends in there with me if I could, and, you know, and it was always the same. He wanted to just kind of talk and see how everything was going, what brought us to town and all of that. Uh, the passion was there, and the collection was just, like I said, unspeakably cool. So as I mentioned, I started this podcast, and my goal was to have a sit-down conversation with him. Of course, less of a, an interview, but just kind of a conversation where I ask him questions, and then I just kind of sit back in my chair and listen. Yeah, I didn't think the opportunity would present itself in the way that it did, but he does these raffles now. So you can pay five or ten bucks for a ticket into the raffle, and you could be entered in to win a prize. So the prize that I put my... My uh, raffle ticket in for here a few months back was a Shamrock Series helmet, authentic helmet from this past year when they played uh, at Yankee Stadium. And so I didn't win the helmet, but I was over the moon excited because I, in fact, won a ball hat, uh, you know, a Notre Dame uh, baseball hat. And so I called him up and I said, hey, uh, Augie, this is Alex Painter from, from Richmond. You called my name. Uh, I will be up in town for business here in a couple weeks. I'll pick up my hat that way you don't have to ship it to me, but would you have maybe 20, 25 minutes where I could just talk to you? I'll have some questions prepared, and I'm doing this podcast, and I really think people would enjoy it. And he was all too gracious with his time. And so I was able to come up and kind of conduct the conversation. And... And so the whole thing ended up being 15 to 20 minutes yet. Yeah, you're going to hear it here very soon. But then I proceeded to kind of sit in the store and, and talk to him for the next hour, just about everything under the sun. And uh, we had a very good conversation. And, and what I find most striking about Augie is what he's chosen to be his passion and his calling. But um, also being a school teacher for 30 years, uh, the humility that, that is always on display when talking to him. And I'm happy to say that after our conversation and uh, the amount of time we got to spend together, I consider him a friend. So 
Without further ado, here is my conversation with Jim Augustine. You know him as Augie of Augie's Locker Room in South Bend, Indiana. Augie, thanks for joining me today. Thank you for having uh, having me on board. Absolutely. The, the pleasure is all mine. I mean, it's great to be able to sit here and talk to you and kind of get into your brain a little bit about Notre Dame football. Sure. So I have a few questions. All right. So we're sitting here in your store. Uh, it is a bit of a store. It doubles as a museum also. Yeah, it does. And I've heard you say that as well. Right. Uh, you can certainly walk through the doors. The, the history is very palpable. It and is. It really is. And it, people say this is the museum that doesn't exist across the street. There should <laughs> be a museum over there, but there isn't. Right. Yeah, it's sad. No, no doubt. And well, and speaking of the collection here, uh, you once said that the collection started in the 1950s uh, when your father used to take you to, to Notre Dame games. So can you please tell sure. us a little bit about some of those early, your right. earliest Notre Dame football um, memories? I, I, my earliest, believe it or not, I was at Northern Indiana Children's Hospital because I had polio. And this was back in the early 50s. And I could hear, and that's right across the street from Notre Dame, the hospital, which doesn't exist anymore. I could hear the shouting, I could hear the band cheering, and I never knew what that was. And of course, that that always, you know, I still re resonates with me. I remember that sound. And then when my dad took me to my first game, which was probably about 1953 or four, um, I after the game, I literally, he sat there and I walked around the stadium had picked up Hi, ticket stubs and it was kind of my beginning ticket right stubs now, and and so uh that's when it all started you know with ticket stubs so even as a even as a small child did you have a favorite player as a as a young boy no no i i was just you know caught up in the atmosphere probably uh more than anything and I was excited because when my parents went to a game out of town, they'd always bring me back the ticket stubs. And so I, it was just exciting to be a part of maybe starting the collection mm -hmm. and starting to go to my first few games. So were your parents uh, from this area? Yeah, they, they, they actually, my dad started getting season tickets right after the war, late 40s, as did most of the uh, South Bend area, the Catholic churches were approached back in the early 50s, late 40s, I guess, and asked to buy season tickets. And most of the people that at our church, St. Matthew's, we all actually we all sat together for for decades in that section because that's where all our tickets were in that section 23 area. And so um, that's where we sat. We knew everybody in that section. My parents would go to games. And it was that was just part of their life also. So I, I guess I've been walking through the doors here for about five years now. Mm -hmm. um, but through that time, uh, you and also various family members, I guess, that I've been able to meet uh, through coming into the store, the only way I could describe is that you've been unwaveringly kind to myself, and sometimes I bring other people into the store with me. Um, first of all, just thank you for thank that. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> Uh, but second, what do you feel your mission is with the store? Uh, it's wonderful, um, but many, myself included, would argue that it's it's complemented by by your friendliness and allowing Notre Dame football to be an ex a level of accessibility that sometimes you don't actually get from the university. Yeah, thank you for saying that. I 
I guess if you have to put it in terms of a mission, my mission is to give to anyone that wants to come to town or locally some some really interesting uh, facts and and artifacts from the past. And so it's it's like you said, it's it's walking in to an atmosphere of a museum quality. And yeah, we're we're this is not a business in terms of raising money for my family or kids. This is my hobby and this is something that I don't, you know, I go sometimes I go weeks and don't have a sale. But that doesn't even bother me, you know, because I'm enjoying meeting people. Uh, it, it's more of just getting to know the public and people that come to town. And yeah, sometimes we do sell something. Uh, but you know, it's not. It's not. I'm not motivated by profit in this store. It's. It's more about just meeting people, people like you and people you bring in, and and it's a thrill. You know, I'm excited to meet everybody that comes to town. Thank you. And um, what do you think resonates with people so strongly? Like Notre Dame football resonates with people on such a deep personal level that maybe they have a ringtone, uh, you know, with the fight song, you know, and they get to right. hear it multiple times a day. What is it that you think really brings people in? Well, it, it's funny because we were just talking about this the other day with my boys. I said, you know, there was back in the day, I, I was so... Uh, I guess you would say so passionate about Notre Dame football that I took every loss. I took it personally. I took it like, how did this happen? I probably had a hard time sleeping on a Saturday night. Um, but the victories were also just as exciting. And now uh, it's passed, kind of passed on to the younger generation to get those feelings. I know a couple of my sons are very passionate and they feel strongly when Notre Dame loses. There are people who I've met who their life revolves around Notre Dame football, and and when they lose, they aren't they aren't happy. And and I go I guess I've never got to that point where it it controls my emotions. But I've met a lot of people where Notre Dame football has literally taken over their persona, their you know their lifestyle. They it becomes too much of uh, what they what they are, you know, their personality and everything. But I think you just have to accept the good mm -hmm. games with the not so good games. That's right. where I am now, you know. Yeah, and just hope the uh, the good ones outnumber I, the other ones. Yeah, I agree. And they have been, you know. I mean, we really? shouldn't be. We're not. Maybe we're spoiled because this is this is a university where you have to go to school. Mm -hmm. You have to go to class. Uh, you get an education here. You, yes, you do your athletic, you play sports, but you have to go go to school. You know? No, abs absolutely. So this the collection, um, as you mentioned, you know several several decades in the making here. So at, at what point did the collection grow so large that you kind of just needed to put it inside of a brick and mortar building here? Well, I taught school for thirty some years, and after that, I had a massive collection in my house. Uh, in my garage, that uh, my boys kept saying, "Dad, you need to, you need to open up a store. You need you need to sell some of this stuff. It's just gotten overwhelming." And so, 12 years ago, I I went into my first um, little uh, bungalow, I guess you would call it. It was <laughs> tiny, and I don't know how any of this stuff fit, but I I made it work. And then I moved over in this location. It's twice the size. Still, not enough room. Right. Um, but here we are. Yeah. Well, do you have a favorite piece? I, you know, there's so many. Um, 
we have several pieces in here I wouldn't sell, but the probably the one piece, the fam, kind of a family heirloom is the Rockney Humidor from 19, it's like probably about 1928 or so, signed by Tad Jones, uh, Pop Warner and Canute. And it's just a football made into a humidor because Rockney was such an avid uh, sm cigar smoker. Mm -hmm. And so those have become very rare. And so that that's a great piece just to let the public see, you know, something so unique and so neat. But we tried in 1996-97, I tried to pick up as many pieces of the old stadium as I could. Ticket boxes, box seats, stools from the locker room, lockers. Uh, signs, section, gate signs. I tried to get those to put into what I knew someday would be my store. And so I spent some money to do that. And they still are, many of those things are still here. Wonderful. So speaking of, speaking of Rockney, you're something of an authority on, on the man. What is it that, that is so, I mean, obviously success on the gridiron. I mean, he has dozens and dozens of just memorable quotes and I think a lot of the mystique and the allure is of course the fact that he died very early and died very suddenly what what do you think is the most alluring part of coach Rockney and, and his legacy well the man was uh, I, I mean he he was a visionary he could pick players uh, he, he used to get hundreds of people hundreds of students out for football and he knew which ones he could rely on and they didn't have to be big and fast. They just had to be smart and tough. And he could take those kids, mold them into some of the greatest players that ever came out of Notre Dame. Uh, besides being a visionary, um, he was so innovative. I mean, he, he would scout every team that they were about to play and he would then rely on, you know, his his notes and and he would tap into their weaknesses their vulnerabilities he knew exactly what the next play was going to be he was a uh, an an orchestra leader on the field like a like for a concert he knew how to you know get get the best out of his players wonderful also uh I believe an accomplished actor too. Uh, <laughs> he did. He did star in some roles. He he played one where he was a woman. That's right. Yes. Yeah. He dressed in, in a female <laughs> outfit. That that's right. Well, so would you say out of all of Notre Dame's history that Rockney would be among the people you most admire? Is there a, that singular person that you would say that you know throughout the, you know, century plus of of Notre Dame football that you most admire? You know, I. Well, I never met Rockney, obviously, but um, yes, I'd say he was, I quite admire his tenacity and his coaching ability and all that. But the person that I met in my lifetime that I probably would consider to be not the greatest Notre Dame athlete, but probably one of the best, would have been Johnny Latner. The kindest, nicest human I've ever met, down to earth, was just a, a true gentleman. And... Um, of course, you know, so was so was Lou Jack and Bertelli, and these guys were great men besides the fact they were great athletes. But Johnny Latner stands out. In fact, one day we were at a signing in the College Football Hall of Fame, and I'm sitting with him and talking. He says, do you want to, why don't you borrow my, my Heisman for a while, Augie? Put it in your store. <laughs> and I did, and he let me put it in the store for a while. But that's the kind of guy he was. He would take his Heisman to tailgates and he'd let people borrow it. 
but he was just the nicest. He was the nicest man that you ever could meet. Uh, very humble mm -hmm. and um, just, I, I mean, an all-around great man. Good story about him was it's trivia that I that I read one time where he was the he was the only guy that I ever heard would wake up on a Saturday morning of game day. He would go get three boxes of programs. He would go and sell the programs when he was done selling his programs. He would go back to his dorm and study and miss the games. Now, how does that happen as a great athlete, as a Heisman Trophy winner? Well, what it turns out is that he was a freshman, and freshmen weren't, didn't dress mm. back in, what, 50 or 49 or 50, I guess it was. They didn't dress, and so he would spend the time actually studying to catch up on his, on his academics. My goodness. Yes, but he would sell programs that's, in the morning. That's quite a story. It is. It's, it's I, so I mean, neat. That's right. wonderful. You actually had a role in the movie Rudy. Well, not exactly. I was actually um, recruited to coach uh, behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. um, they they hired about six of us to hi uh, to coach behind the scenes. Paul Bergen was the was the head coach. He's he's often seen in the movie itself, and then he kind of coached us to coach the kids and told us what drills we were going to put them through and that sort of thing. Uh, but it was more of having fun with the guys that were out there. But yeah, we, we you know we actually coached and um, and got to watch some of the scenes. And my favorite scene was when Sean Astin um, is getting his uh, bell rung by a uh, by a player, uh, an offensive lineman, and they keeps he keeps knocking him back about ten feet. And Sean Astin gets up and says, "I can do it, coach." And we all we all just started laughing because Sean Astin was getting his butt beat, and he did not want. Any kind of he didn't want someone to step in, and and to huh. take it. He really was out there, and was was taking those hits, and uh, we talked to him last summer about that uh, when we we saw him in Indianapolis, and he still remembers that. So I had him sign my stool, oh, okay. gold stool. Um, I can do it, Coach. <laughs> Sean Aston. So so he took all those oh, yeah, that, that took, training yes, montage. He was, wanted he wanted the bruises. He wanted to be he wanted to prove that he could do this. Wow. And uh, but anyway, that's that was fun. And that, and our our role was very limited. Even though I have pictures of me with Sean Aston getting ready to run out of the tunnel as a coach. And um, and so we go to the premiere, and I'm thinking, well, I'm in a hundred scenes mm -hmm. on the sidelines running out of the tunnel and we go to the premiere and there's not one shot of me in the film but i guess that's not that that's not what my role was but but i did get to run out of the tunnel and i can prove it i've got the the pictures to prove it because <laughs> nobody's going to believe that you know you got to run out of the tunnel but uh, unless you were sure you know wearing oh, a, wow. a gold helmet or a coach but uh, no, it was fun. It was fun to, to film and everything, and um, I got to meet a lot of great people. Vince Vaughn, I didn't know who in the heck he was. I didn't. I don't think I even met him. Yeah, I very, tried to very few tried to meet did. Ned Beatty. Uh, the didn't didn't meet him. Um, Jason Miller, Jason Miller played Era uh, Parsegian. He right. was the priest in uh, Exorcist, and I got to meet him. And he was the nicest. He he was so darn nice. And he loved Notre Dame. And, of course, 
got to hang out with Sean Astin, which was which was really cool. No doubt. Yeah, he's he's just he was just a great kid, just no. a great kid. But no uh, doubt. fun. It yeah. was fun. Well, good. Well, so for those of us who are maybe planning trips to South Bend up here in the fall for football games, and this is really kind of my own personal curiosity. So aside from you know all the things to do on campus, of course, Coach sure. Rockney's buried here in in town. Uh, of course, the locker room here. Is there any other? Is there any other spot like in town that you would recommend a Notre Dame football fan to go visit? Boy, everybody asks asks that question, and I and, and and there's the trumpets at the dome. There's that. There's the grotto. You've got to go and walk campus and eat a uh, a brat. Uh, you've got to go watch the the Irish Guard lineup, mm-hmm. which is very special. And um, the band striking up, it, it, it just, uh, I mean, I still get chills, you know, thinking about it. But, uh, but I haven't done that in many years because I'm here and mm-hmm. I'm hanging out here. Uh, but I miss that. And I hate to say it, but I almost miss that more than the game, mm. you know. The band coming out of the tunnel and in this tiny little tunnel and all of a sudden they just, uh, you know, stream out, and it's beautiful. It's, right. oh, my God, it's, it's such a great experience. Of course, then you see the gold helmets at the, at the tunnel, and then you get excited. And then I go home. No, it's... Right. <laughs> I go home, and then no, yeah, I've seen well, it all. Use no. your own restroom. And, no, and there you go. But, but no, it, it's, it's such a great experience that uh, you've got to come and experience it. And I talk to a lot of people who say, I don't even like Notre Dame, but, boy, when I came here and watched did all this, experienced all this, it, it just was special. Mm-hmm. You know, it's on my bucket list. I did it, but boy, it's special. Oh, yeah. Oh, my gosh. And you know it is. Oh, absolutely. I think the pageantry is, I mean, it's, God, se- it's yes. second to none. And I think about, I've got three small kids at home, and during football season, one of their favorite YouTube videos to watch is literally the Notre Dame band. You know, yes. I want to hear you go. Yes. Irish. Irish yes. And uh, beat whoever they're playing. I know it. And, uh, I love it. I and love it. It's uh, something that, you know, it's really important. I think for a lot of people, they, they take it very personally to kind of at least pass a piece of that on. That's true. And and, and, and I, I think we all kind of think we're going to brainwash our kids into, <laughs> in, into, but, you know, every kid is different. Every right. kid has a, diff- a reason for, a, for uh, following a different team and let them, let them, you know, let them miss out on such a great, uh, you know, experience. Exactly. That's, that's not our fault. Well, um for a final question, the obligatory question, any feeling around town for how the 2019 yes. edition of the yes. Irish are going to look? Yes. When we went to the Irish or to the Rockney breakfast about a month ago, Brian Pullian, Pullian was there. Great speaker. Great guy. He just kept saying, folks, I don't know what it is. I don't know how, how to tell you this, but something is special about this team. And, and I promise you, he said, I know you're, you're, you've heard this before. Something is special about this team, and you're going to be pleasantly surprised. And you just wait. You, this is something you will never see again for, I mean, this is so special. And he just kept saying it. And all of a sudden, I'm thinking, well, he must know something. Right. Now, I've heard coaches say that, but, boy, I'll tell you right now, I, I just feel it. Mm-hmm. I feel good. And... Um, you know, I, I mean, a national championship, I don't, you know, I'm not that big on winning national cha- It's so difficult nowadays because every team has great athletes. Right. But Notre Dame has some great athletes. 
Absolutely. So my feeling this year is 12 and 1. All right. 12 and 1. I'd take that in a heartbeat. I would too. <laughs> take that in a heartbeat, maybe knocking down a maybe another uh, college football playoff appearance. Well, I, fine. Yes, I can't wait. Yes, you, you and me both. Well, Augie, thank you so much for your time again. Good seeing you, Mr. Alex. Right. Always a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, buddy. All right. Well, and that wraps that up. So, as you could probably tell, that was. A good bit of fun. So you can visit Augie's Locker Room next time you visit South Bend. The store itself is located at 1811 South Bend Avenue. But regardless of where you are in the country, you can visit AugieslockerRoom.com. Kind of scope it out, see what he has for sale. You can go to the Facebook page, which is Facebook.com slash AugieslockerRoom. And if you're a eBayer like myself, he also uh, maintains an eBay store. Um, if you happen to stop in there, please tell him that you heard our conversation here. I'm sure he would really appreciate hearing that, that you listened in. So, again, not trying to make the man blush, but it was truly a really cool experience just to be able to sit down with him and get to know him a little bit better and, and, and talk to him. And as you heard, he has just wonderful, wonderful stories and, like I said, a wide breadth of knowledge of Notre Dame football. So, keep hanging out here. We have two more things. We have our question of the day as well as our giveaway. As I mentioned, if you shared episode one, you were automatically in the running for our very first giveaway, which, again, not to beat the dead horse, was a autographed Upper Deck 2014 Troy Nicholas football card. So we'll be doing that right after we tackle our question for the day. So hang tight. You know, it's pretty awesome how songs can just really take you back to a very specific time and a very specific place. However, don't feel bad if that song we just heard is not one of those songs because that uh, smash hit, Chauncey Alcott's When Irish Eyes Are Smiling, was in fact the most popular song in the country, but that was way back in 1913. So why do we play it? It's important to set the mood, but it also fits into the show's budget because that song is so old that it belongs to the public domain, so we can play it for free for educational purposes. But anywho, the question of the day is, how did Theodore Roosevelt help build a Notre Dame football dynasty? Now, Roosevelt is widely regarded as possibly one of the toughest, if not the toughest, most rugged presidents we've ever had. So naturally, around the turn of the 20th century, President Theodore Roosevelt was a huge football fan. However, football had a big problem, and it's actually one that was similar to the one they have right now. And that is people thought the game was completely violent, dangerous, unsafe. Again, arguments that are levied against today's game. But in 1905 alone, at least 18 people died, and more than 150 were injured playing football. So, according to the Washington Post, between 1900 and 1905, at least 45 players died from injuries, whether broken necks, concussions, or broken backs that were suffered during games. And as 
many of you are probably aware this is of course the era when players strapped on leather helmets and were offered very very little protection football actually kind of more or less resembled what we would kind of consider rugby today but football had a terrible public image and very bad public relation issues again surrounding the deaths and the injuries of those who participated and these numbers of people who were killed playing the sport are actually more eye-popping because naturally you know in 1905 the sport wasn't nearly as widely played as it is today but Roosevelt was a huge fan of the game and so he wanted to make it a little bit safer and therefore more appealing for more people to play but also as I mentioned, maybe help alleviate some of the public relations nightmare. So he gathered a collection of the quote-unquote football leaders across the country at something of a summit at Yale University. And this was not done simply to gather a bunch of talking heads to have a good time on the campus grounds. No, their goal was to create a more sustainable model for football to make it a little less violent because there was loud outcries that the game should be abolished entirely due to its violent nature. So the day after that, the Washington Post wrote that, quote, it is hoped by the president that with the cooperation of the college authorities and the athletic advisors, the rules of the game may be so amended as practically do away with much of the brutality which makes the game objectionable to many people. It is understood that no definite conclusions were reached. Indeed, none was expected. The idea of the president being simply to start the ball rolling in the direction of a modification of the rules of the game. Now, the most important bit of that is indeed a modification of the rules of the game. So what were these new rules that were born out of this presidential summit, uh, a matter that was of such critical importance to the president that he felt like he had to handle it personally? Well, the invention of the position of wide receiver. Also, at the time, if a ball was passed, and they weren't passed very often, the ball, we mentioned rugby earlier, but the ball looked like almost a modern rugby ball. It's very cumbersome to try to grip and throw, but if there was a pass that was less than five yards from the line of scrimmage, it was actually ruled a turnover. So they took out that old rule. They invented the wide receiver to, you know, give the quarterbacks like a specific person to throw the football to but all as the result, again, of President Roosevelt's intervention into the sport. So it did take a few years for these rules to eventually shake out, which brings us to the summer of 1913, where again, Chauncey Alcott's When Irish Eyes Are Smiling is the number one song in the country. And you have two rising seniors who also happen to be members of the University of Notre Dame's football team. Now, Notre Dame at the time was in very rural northern Indiana. I guess it's still in northern Indiana, but it was very rural at that time. And they practiced the forward pass on the beach at Cedar Point, where they worked as lifeguards for a summer job. One of the two men was expected to be Notre Dame's quarterback that year, named Charlie Duray, who went by Gus. The other was none other than the halfback, Canute Rockney. Yes, that, Canute Rockney. But the two men practiced the forward pass on the sand at Cedar Point all summer long. In that ensuing season, uh, while the University of Notre Dame, uh, not known as the Fighting Irish at the time, they would mostly be known actually as the Catholics and then the Ramblers before being known as the Fighting Irish, but they took on the powerful perennial national 
contender army squad up in West Point, New York. And it was at that time that Notre Dame coach Jesse Harper decided it'd be best to unleash the secret weapon, which was the forward pass, the one that DeRay and Rockney had been working on all summer long. And they did so with dramatic and profound success. And the upstart Notre Dame squad defeated the powerful Army squad 35-13. to And for his efforts, DeRay actually went 14 of 17 for 243 yards at this time. That is utterly eye-popping. I mean, that's good today. And yes, as you might have guessed, many of those completed passes went to his good buddy, Knut Rockney. But this all happened, puts Notre Dame on the map, all because less than a decade earlier, the President of the United States decides to take his hand up and, and try to make the game of football just a little bit more safer, more sustainable for the future. But it did start a chain reaction that allowed Rockney and DeRay to become national figures of prominence in the game of football, and that's prominence and fame that Rockney was able to parlay the following year after graduating in 1914 into becoming a, a chemistry teacher as well as the assistant football coach under Jesse Harper uh, eventually of course becoming the head football coach and the rest as they say is history so again in short that is how President Theodore Roosevelt helped establish a football dynasty at the University of Notre Dame and our final bit of business is the giveaway. Again, anyone who shared the first episode was automatically placed into uh, a giveaway of the aforementioned Troy Nicholas card. So we'll do that now. So thank you again to everybody, and thank you for your support. Thank you for your time. And just remember, feel free to tell anyone you know about the show, uh, whether they like football or Notre Dame or history or whatever have you, tell them to head over to the Facebook page. It's facebook.com slash Onward to Victory Podcast. And uh, give us a like. We're trying to grow the audience as much as we can, expand the reach. So share it with anyone who you think might enjoy it. But again, back to the giveaway. So again, anyone who shared the first episode was automatically kind of put into the pot. So I have a random number generator on my phone. And each number corresponds with one of you that I've written down here. Uh, and so let's just see. Let's just jump right in. Here we go. I'm actually going to hit the generator three times. So I'll go with the third number. All right, here we go, and a one, and a two, and a three. Okay, number nine on my list corresponds with number nine. Number nine. Okay, well, I'll be quickly becoming a super listener. Number nine on my list of people who shared the episode is none other than Casey Tully of Fort Wayne, Indiana. So you might remember that name because he is, in fact, the one who guessed the Angelo Bertelli trivia question right during episode one. And he turns around and he wins the very first Onward to Victory contest. So, Casey, thank you very much for the support. Thank you for sharing the episode. Feel free to shoot me your home address. I'll get this card in the mail to you ASAP. So um, thank you again for everyone who shared the first episode. I know I've said thank you a lot, but I do truly, truly appreciate it. Don't hesitate to... Uh, share this, share the podcast with anyone who you think might appreciate it, whether they be football fans, college football fans, Notre Dame fans, fans of history, or, you know, someone who, again, for some other intangible or tangible reason you think might enjoy this. So thank you again. Uh, keep those, keep that correspondence coming. I'd love to read any of it. And um, we'll be talking about what's coming up for episode three here soon. But in the meantime, this has been Onward to Victory. 
And as always, go Irish.